welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, your host, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master. We've discussed hundreds of insights and tools for product managers and innovators with more to come, and I've put 10 of the best insights into a short guide, the top 10 insights and tools from the first 100 plus interviews. I'll assume that you are listening because you agree with the other few thousand people that are listening also that the discussions we've had provide you value, and you'll find this guide also be very valuable. I want you to have it. Take time to get it. Just go to TheEverydayInnovator.com and you can download it at the top of the page. Please check it out. Now, the state of innovation in organizations is a bit unsettling. Executives overwhelmingly point to innovation as the growth engine for their organizations. Yet, the actual innovation performance, eh, it's a little bit underwhelming. There are several factors contributing to this issue, and one of them is the way innovation is led. The reality is that most organizational leaders don't really understand innovation or know how to lead it. Well, that's about to change with this interview. The Center for Creative Leadership conducts original research with findings to help leaders be more effective. New research conducted by Mike Mitchell found that leading innovation requires a different approach to leadership. This research explains what leaders need to do to effectively lead innovation. Mike joins me to discuss what is needed to lead innovation and what product managers need to know about this as well. Mike has a PhD in industrial psychology with a focus on organizational leadership. He investigates what it takes to successfully contribute to and lead innovation in an organization. He's a senior faculty member at the Center for Creative Leadership. You'll find the summary of our discussion at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 149. When you hear something that you want to go back to as you're thinking about trying to apply this concept or just a review, head over to the summary first. That's why I put them there for you to make it easy for you to go back and find what you want. And that's again at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 149. Enjoy the interview. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the Everyday Innovators. Hi, Chad. It's good to be with you today. I have rather early relationship with the Center for Creative Leadership, CCL, which you are a uh, part of, uh-huh. and really enjoyed doing one of their six-day leadership development programs, which was quite fortunate. It was early-ish in my career, and I was with people who were you know, leaders of different groups, and it, it was just delightful. Uh, and you pack a lot into six days. <laughs> yes, we do. Well, and that's even become, I, I, I'm fairly certain what program you're referring to. And now that is down to five days. So imagine what that five days must be like for those. Yeah, it, it was unique. In, in my case, there were 11 of us participating, some great people I got to associate with. And there were 13 people observing us. So there's an abundance of feedback, which is what you want. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And that's how CCL first came on my radar screen, too, was I went to the leadership development program, mm-hmm. which was the, for the company I was working for at the time. That was kind of like a big deal. That meant that you were on your way mm-hmm. if you were sent to CCL. And um, same thing. It was it, I was in the sixth day. It was when what is now a five day program was still six. And uh, you arrived on Sunday and left on Friday. Right. And same thing. It was uh, one of those highly impactful things, obviously, that I uh, took some pretty strong action on some years later. 
Awesome. And you're now part of the group. And CCL has wonderful resources for leaders and does a lot of research, original research in the field of leadership and certainly reviews a lot of uh, research that is done. Yeah. And I wanted to dive in on, on an aspect that you've been looking at, which is innovation. Let's just start with, you know, when leaders of organizations are asked what is most important to them when it comes to improving innovation in their organizations, what is it they say? What do they respond with? Well, based on our research, there are two things that come to the top. Uh, one is creating a culture of innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that rises to the top is having leaders in the organization that encourage innovation. Okay. And if you think about those, those, those two actually intertwine. In other mm-hmm. words, leaders will create the culture. And if leaders are encouraging innovation, then you'll have a culture that encourages innovation. This is top of mind for, for leaders of organizations. We, we want our culture to really be more innovative. We want to foster this culture. Right. And that's a topic I've talked about a lot on this podcast uh, because uh-huh. it is in demand. And that leaders want to encourage innovation. At the same time, it kind of suggests that we don't really know how to accomplish those things. Um, yes. And in my personal interactions with you know, leaders and CEOs of organizations, you know, the, the, this is an area that they, they want help with and aren't necessarily familiar with it. It suggests that they're not really comfortable with leadership. What have you found around that? Well, so as you just mentioned, I mean, there's a big gap between leaders saying that they want and understanding, of course, that they need innovation, Mm -hmm. um, and then their organization actually delivering on that. There's a huge gap. Um, In other words, nearly all leaders we ever survey uh, in our leadership panel you know, they rank innovation as important to their organization. You know, 98% will say that innovation is important to them. I'm not sure what's going on with the other two, but the other 2%. But uh, when then we ask, and is your organization effective at actually being innovative? Only about 14% mm-hmm. will say yes. And so that huge gap of, you know, roughly rounding numbers, 85% is what we call the gap, the knowing doing gap, if you will. So what drives that? Um, it's a number of things. One is um, those people in those senior leadership positions that are asking their organizations to be more innovative could have, and not all of them, but could have come up through the ranks at a time when innovation was less important or the focus on innovation was sudden, certainly not as sharp as it is today. So you have senior executives that may and probably not have come up uh, and risen to their level without really having any firsthand experience. Mm-hmm. Now we're in an era where, of course, innovation is important due to globalization, change, and all those kinds of things. And you've got leaders who know they need to ask for it, but they personally don't have any experience. So that's one reason. We may have leadership ranks that just came up at a time when le- when innovation was less focused on, less important, and now they don't really know what it is they're asking for or what it means based on what they're asking for. The other thing is, is if you look at the way we train business executives, and I'm guilty of that as well, since I've taught for years in MBA and undergraduate business programs. So I know this very well, uh, that we train business executives to reduce risk, to increase predictability. And when you take just those two things alone, 
and hold them up against what innovation really is, which is all about risk and highly unpredictable. There's not really a, been a training ground uh, or the proper training ground to accept and understand and really understand what it takes to drive innovation. There are a few organizations that do that well. We often see, as you just said, an emphasis placed in businesses on operations and running and you know being more successful over time in terms running of smoothly. running smoothly. Right. Improving on what we have. Exactly. But improving sometimes is more around efficiency and those kinds of improvements. Right. Which, which, right, are kind of the exact opposite of what it takes to create innovation. And a few organizations stand out that have done a good job of this. You know, Amazon is often used as an example that seems to do operations well and also innovation well. Right. Um, but it's a challenge. And I like how you said that a lot of our leaders haven't grown up through that kind of innovation experience. But today, it really is more expected. And organizations recognize this is the revenue engine. This is how we generate new revenue in the future. Well, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's the global economy, right? In other words, the, the drive or the need to be innovative wasn't as strong as it is 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, as it is now. now, now, now you have someone that can sweep your business arising from anywhere in the world and they can do it quite rapidly. Those cycles have increased mm-hmm. and perhaps again, not all, but perhaps, uh, for a lot of these senior executives that say innovation is important, but then they scratch their heads and can't figure out why their organization is not good at it is because they, they themselves were in that past coming up in that past 20, 30, even, uh, 15 years where it just wasn't in, innovation wasn't as important. So consequently, they don't have that hands on experience. They learned more about efficiency, driving cost out of the system, how to create predictability, how to minimize risk. Which all suggests that the that leadership model that's good at that might be different than the leadership model that's good at innovation. And this is your area of research that you've been working on recently. Yes. So, so tell us about that. How does, if it does, leadership differ from those kind of ongoing business operations versus leading innovation? Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's been a long, a question that I've had for a long time is it, you know, do we require different things, uh, from people who are leading those people who are responsible for driving innovation and leaders of what I call an ongoing business. In other words, you know, it's a, it's a present, present business. Um, not that innovation isn't required to some extent in there, but it isn't all about innovation. Right. So I, I've been looking at that and it's a question I've had for quite some time. And in this recent research found some answers to that. And really the answer is a resounding yes. So, so yes, it is different. It is definitely different. So what we found uh, in our research is that there are tensions in leading innovation that certainly exist in leading an ongoing enterprise. But those tensions become much more intense and much more the focus of what leaders need to do when leading innovation. And the five tensions, if you will, are risk. So if you think about what innovation is as its core, it is all risk. In other words, you either succeed or fail. There's really kind of no middle ground. While risk is present in an ongoing business, you have the ongoing, for example, revenue flow, customer base, whatever that can cover up for a few cents, right? Right. In innovation, you really are rolling the dice um, and 
hoping that things turn out okay. So that's and, one of the tensions. And further, Mike, just a point on that risk issue. The, this is why um, I, I like the term the cultural antibodies that resist innovation. And it's because the ongoing operations, that's what has made the organization successful. And now you're trying to do something that is different than that, right? And innovation by nature means we're doing something new. And so the antibodies in the organization tend to want to attack that because it's, it is different than what has made us successful. Well, and think about who are those antibodies. Think about those senior leaders that we just talked about, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Okay, so they themselves are uh, maybe even unconsciously an antibody. That, right. Uh, their palms sweat and their their natural tendency is to say no to outlandish risk, which defines innovation. So that's one of the tensions. The other tension is ambiguity. So again, not that ambiguity doesn't exist to a certain extent if you're leading an ongoing business. If you're leading innovation, it's 100% ambiguity. In other words, there is no path forward. Um, there is uh, no assurance. And that applies not only to the end of a project, if you will. In other words, once we work this idea through, is it really going to succeed or not? But the day-to-day -day work of innovation is filled with ambiguity because you're making decisions that have never been made before about something that has never been done before. So that's the second tension. Uh, the third tension is visibility. Um, and again, while there is visibility of performance and leadership performance, in an ongoing business, when you come into the world of innovation, it is highly visible. So I like to say, you know, if you work in innovation, your organization knows in a very short period of time if you are good or not good at your job. Mm -hmm. And when you're good at it, it is highly visible, right? There's a new product out there, a new way of doing things, a new company, whatever that innovation uh, objective was. When it succeeds, it is highly, highly visible. And again, not that there's not visibility in running an ongoing business, but it's just not as spectacular, not as high, not as acute as it is, as visibility is in innovation. So that was the third tension. The fourth tension is that high bar of creativity. And again, not the creativity, the ability to think of novel things uh, is not present in an ongoing business, but in innovation, it completely defines it, right? Because that's what an innovation is. It is the execution of a creative idea that is useful to the organization in some way. And so that creativity tension is acute, present, and in fact, defines innovation, as we know. The fifth one is uh, what, what I call unchartered territory. Meaning in innovation, if you knew how to get from point A to point B, with point B being the execution of that idea, it wouldn't be called an innovation. So the, so what happens between point A and point B is completely unchartered. No one really knows how to get there. And if we did, it wouldn't be an innovation because someone would have already gotten there. And again, not that there isn't some unchartered territory in an ongoing business, but unchartered territory absolutely defines what innovation is. If it was charter territory, it wouldn't be new. And so it's those five tensions while they're present in an ongoing business, they are heightened, really heightened in innovation, but in fact, actually define innovation in and of itself. So those uh, require a difference in leadership um, or a different kind of leadership and certainly a different focus 
on how I am a, I as a leader am leading my people who are trying to get those ideas out the door and successfully executed. It requires me to pay attention to things differently and put different emphasis on how I lead those people than if I'm running an ongoing business. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that gap, right? That 85% gap of we want innovation, but we're not good at it. I don't have research to support it, but a, a strong hypothesis. Another reason why that gap exists is that we take leaders from running an ongoing business and say, you know, Sam or Susan, they were really great at running that ongoing business. Now we want to focus on innovation. So Sam or Susan, come over here and lead innovation. And Sam and Susan (laughs) are coming with the leadership skills that it took to run that ongoing business. And again, not that these five tensions weren't present there, but it wasn't the sum total of their job. And it certainly wasn't as acute as it's about to be. They step into that Mm -hmm. and they mislead. They mismanage. They do things like kill a new idea because coming from an existing business, you know, if you take a new idea into a machine that's running really well, the odds are you're going to throw that machine out of balance. So little things that make big differences Absolutely. Like that. if you take a leader from an existing business and just assume that because they're successful there, they can successfully lead innovation as well. And I'm sure related to that, and this is a reason why CCL exists, and this is you know why I went to a six-day leadership development program you know, at the time, was we might be someone who is really good at creating new products, right? And, and that's been our work. And now we're asked to lead others to you know continue yeah. this. Right. And, and we make this mistake over and over in organizations, which is to promote really good, competent people who have the knowledge of the, the skill they need to get the job done into leadership, asking them to now do the care and feeding of other people to do those things without really preparing them to be successful with that. Those are completely different skills, which is what you know CCL offers in a very big way. So I, I'm sure that is another you know reason for this gap issue to be there, too. Well, and I think, though, but the the one of the keys to being a good leader, even even if you've been in innovation and now you're the innovation leader, is to stay in touch with what it was like to be doing the work mm-hmm. that you're leading people through. And that requires empathy and a sensitivity, which gets us to, you know, this idea of how do I support these people? Mm-hmm. Even if I used to be in, uh, one of those people and now I'm leading them to not lose sight with what did I need uh, in order to succeed and work in this wild and willy world filled with those five tensions of ambiguity, high visibility, high risk, et cetera. What is kind of that common theme there? So these tensions are real clear that they they describe what innovation is like and why it's different than other operations in the business. What stands out that the leaders need if you're leading innovation to provide the people then doing the innovation? In this latest research, you know, we found a lot of things that leaders need to do. But what was really interesting about the research was those things that we found classified into two major areas. And the one area is what we call practical leadership behaviors and things to be done. And what I mean by that is they were things like get the resources people need so that they can continue driving an idea forward, sell the idea up to senior management, uh, fly cover when an innovation isn't meeting it or an innovation work isn't meeting its deadlines, um, those kinds of things. So I, those classified under practical and not that they're unimportant, 
those practical things are very important in innovation. But the interesting finding in the research was a small group of things that classified under something we called emotional support. And those were, you know, the, the three things um, that we focused in on, on emotional support of uh, being in partnership, demonstrating trust and purpose making. Okay. And again, not that those three things, I always say this uh, to anyone that thinks, well, wait a minute, I, I do that and I'm a leader of an ongoing business. What are you telling me? There's nothing new. But what we're saying is two things. One is in, in the world of innovation that I just described, those three things become more important because of those five tensions that we talked about becoming more important and more acute in innovation. And those three things rose above as far as being important than the practical things. Okay. So they stand out as being significant for leading innovators. Right. And the significant difference maker, yep. right? So any leader of innovation, it's very important that they do things like get resources for their people. Sure. Of course. But what makes the difference? So if I had a leader A and leader B and both of them were getting resources for their people at the right time, the right amount, et cetera, what makes leader A stand above leader B is this area of emotional support and those three things that are in that area of emotional support or categorized under emotional support. Okay. So, so let's break down each one of those. I think you started with partnering and trust and purpose making. And so, so tell us about the, the details. What does it mean to provide partnering? Well, and should we talk first about what is emotional support? Sure. <laughs> so um, emotional support, you know, by definition um, is offering someone the encouragement and understanding and reassurance as they go through something. Okay. So those three things encourage, understand, and reassurance. That's the definition of emotional support. So if I'm offering you emotional support as you're going through whatever where you need that, I'm offering you understanding, encouragement, and reassurance. And uh, the reason I bring up that definition is because these three elements also map directly to that. And so emotional support, I'm not familiar with this definition because I assumed it was going to be defined by trust, partner, and purpose-making. So emotional support, this is a standard definition that exists. Right. And it offers the someone offering encouragement, understanding, and reassurance. These three things classify under emotional support. What was the definition I used in the research to define that, right? What, what do we mean by How did I know that those three things meant something? They hung together based on what? Um so anyway, so that's what emotional support is. The other thing that I think is potentially important is that we not only define emotional support, but that we separate it from psychological safety, because there was a big Google study here in the last year about the effectiveness of teams and psychological safety made those teams really effective. So we're not talking about psych psychological safety, although it's it's mixed in there. We found that as well. Um, it, uh, and it's not cheerleading and praising. So by offering you support, by offering you encouragement, it is not at a boys, at a girls, you're doing a really great job. Keep it up. And again, not that that doesn't factor in, but it's my emotional support is much, much deeper than that. I'm not just a cheerleader. I'm not just, you know, standing here, uh, encouraging you as in telling you what great things you're doing. I'm encouraging you in a different way. So let's talk about those three. 
So let's take, um, if we can, take trust first, uh, because again, trust can mean a lot of things. And what we're talking about here is that the, and I'm going to talk about the boss and the innovator. Okay. And what I mean by those two roles is the boss is the leader. The innovator is that person that is responsible. They have, there is some idea, some new mission that the organization is on, and they are really responsible for making that thing happen. You know, they might have a team around them and obviously cross-functional teams, et cetera. But that's what I call the innovator, just mm-hmm. to keep the uh, illustrations nice and clean. So uh, let's talk about trust. And what I mean by trust and what we found in the research, what trust means in this area of emotional support in this world of innovation is that that boss demonstrates that they trust that follower, that that follower knows what they're doing. The benefit of that is that it that empowers that innovator to go out there every day and believe in him or herself to make all of those hundreds and thousands of decisions that he or she may be making in order to drive that through. The op- So that's what I mean by trust, and that's the benefit of trust, that it empowers that innovator to go out there and do what they need to do in a world that's unknown, right? Versus the opposite of that is micromanaging, right? Where that boss sends a signal to the innovator of, I don't really think you're the right person for this project. And more importantly, it might signal, I don't really think this is the right project. So I just don't think there's any right way to do it. So I'm going to micromanage and and make my own anxiety go away by staying on top of you day in, day out on every single little thing. The message that that signals and where it disrupts the effort in getting innovation done, in other words, where it adds to that huge gap is then that innovator stops believing in themselves, right? They're second guessing themselves. They're running to the boss with every problem. And you can imagine how that slows down the effort, particularly when the effort is, well, you got to make a lot of decisions that nobody really knows the right answer to. You have to have some confidence in yourself to just go out there and do it. If that boss starts to micromanage or said another way, starts to show that they don't trust that that innovator's got the right stuff to make this work, it slows down, it gums up, the risks start being very uh, conservative, which is, as the saying goes, you know, you started with an apple and it turned into applesauce. If you've ever heard that about innovation or, you know, in other words, what will happen to a great sparkling idea as it moves through, that is exactly what will cause the apple to be turned into applesauce. That innovator will lose confidence, not feel empowered. Uh, the whole process gets um, bogged down, gummed up. Risk starts to become the risk taken start to become very conservative, and before you know it, the sparkling, beautiful apple is now applesauce. I.e., it's not a successful or even good idea anymore at the end of the day. Good. So that gets us through trust, right? So, what is uh, partnership? And this one, I think, um, you know, it's like a lot of these. If you just Look at the surface of this stuff. You go, well, okay, um, I know a little bit about leadership. I, I think I know what I mean by partnership, or I think I know what you mean, Mike, by partnership. And again, all of these are highly nuanced in this world with these five tensions. And what we mean here is really instead of the boss being the boss and the innovator being the subordinate or direct report, it's really about those two being equal. It's really about the boss coming down a little bit or a lot or in total to coming down completely from his or her pedestal, if you will, and 
working as an equal to solve the problems, to accept the risk and to accept the success even of that innovative idea. And that's a little bit different, right? Because as leaders, we think our job is to let people do things on their own and then either correct them if it's wrong, uh, if they're heading in the wrong direction or, um, God forbid, you know, punish all that kind of stuff. If, if they don't meet the date, if they don't do what they're supposed to do uh-huh. in the world of innovation where it's unchartered territory, no one really knows how to get from point A to point B because if they did, it wouldn't be an innovation. This is about the boss being an equal problem solver, an equal sharer of the risks associated, not only day to day, but at the end of the day, as that idea actually comes to light. That makes a huge difference because to that innovator, they're not in it by themselves. They know that they can stick their neck out a little further, take a little bit more risk, push that applesauce back in towards being an apple if they know they're not in it by themselves, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, there's I, I've heard so many stories as I've you know been researching this topic for a long, a long time, um, but heard so many stories that that finding kind of just crystallized for me. And the story that I heard that really crystallized that for me was of a uh, VP of innovation uh, who shall remain nameless probably well-known, certainly a very well-known company. And he created a really uh, bad reputation for himself over a number of years because he was the kind of leader that would only step in and take ownership of what his people were working on if if it was successful. And if it looked like it was going to fail, he stepped away and his finger pointed at them. You're a bad director. Uh, You're not creative enough, that kind of stuff. And so you can imagine in a world that is vulnerable, high risk, high visibility, uh, highly ambiguous, all those tensions that I talked about. If I feel you as that boss doing that to me, pulling away, Uh what am I going to do? I'm going to go into risk aversion. I'm going to take that apple. I'm going to mash it into applesauce because that's a much safer thing. And therefore, what's going to happen? Oh, we're not going to be very effective at innovation. Right. And this aspect of partnering, partnership, is really interdependent with trust. Because if I feel, as the innovator, if my boss is going to throw me under the bus when we're not successful, right? My my trust in this project and my own abilities and this relationship with my boss all go into various questions for me, whether this is what I should be doing or not. Right. Yeah, these these things that we're talking about, these three things that we're talking about, trust, uh, partnership, and purpose-making, they they overlap. Mm -hmm. It is, it, it is three circles that overlap. Yep. Together, that, that, right? that Venn diagram, they, have, they, yeah. they share some space. So trust, partner, partnership, and purpose-making. So purpose-making, again, uh, so should a leader of an ongoing business be making purpose? Sure. Uh, but when you think about innovation, uh, and again, all of those tensions that exist within it, that innovator responsible for driving that idea forward can lose the horizon really easily, right? Because what we started out with, it's an apple, but now it looks like it's going to have to be an orange based on our research or whatever. And they can lose that horizon. They can forget 
what they're doing. Mm-hmm. If you want to exaggerating, obviously they can forget a little bit about like, what am I doing this for? What, 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 as this thing is moving through the organizations, it's morphing and changing and kind of forgotten what we're, what this is all about. Why am I even coming in here and fighting these battles every day to make this happen? Um, or things in the environment can change it, right? So, uh, if you're doing a consumer product and the consumers say they, or you think the consumers want Apple, you work on an Apple for six months, you take it out to market research and consumers say, no, that's not what I want. I want an orange. You know, there's a lot of, there can be some change and confusion, right? I said I wanted a round fruit, but I know I said an Apple six months ago. Now what I'm really talking about is an orange. So the, the purpose for being for that innovator, the purpose for their work, the purpose for their effort, the purpose for taking a risk, for putting themselves out there on the line and having high visibility, they can lose that horizon. To provide that emotional support, in other words, to motivate them, to keep them inspired, Mm -hmm. to offer that encouragement, um, to uh, offer that reassurance that your work is worth something. What that boss does is make purpose and make meaning. So, yes, the consumers have said now they want an orange, but you know what? An orange is going to be really valuable, too. In other words, let's follow that. I know that's different from the apple you've been working on for the last six months. It's still worthwhile. Right. It's still a round fruit. Go there, make an orange. Keep going, you know, and I'm here for you when, when you need me, right? When you run into those problems. So that is the purpose making mm-hmm. uh, and why purpose making again becomes more acute. An aspect of that purpose making so many times as people involved in product management innovation, it's easy for us to get enamored with the solution. We love our Apple, right? This is the best Apple ever. I don't care if people don't want apples anymore. I got the best one ever, right? Right. And I think part, part of purpose making there is understanding our purpose as innovators, which is we got to get really excited about the customer problem and focus on that as our thing that we're trying to deliver value to a customer. And it's part of the innovation process. Along the way, we might find out lots of ways that doesn't work. <laughs> True. But think about what happens to you emotionally. When you've been working on an apple and now you have to work on an orange, right? So true what you said, that innovator needs to shift their horizon, shift Mm -hmm. their goal, shift their way of feeling and thinking. But think about the emotional toll that takes on somebody at work. If you have been working hard, cajoling all of your, you know, cross-functional team members that the apple's the thing to do and now it becomes an orange. Think of where you are emotionally. And that's, again, why then that leader's role, if I can... Offer that reassurance to you mm-hmm. that working on an orange is just as great as working on an apple. And, oh, by the way, you're the guy to do that. And when you run into trouble, turning that apple into an orange, come back in here and we'll problem solve. I'm, I'm, I'm going to work as an equal to you. That's that lift yep. that you need in order to keep now moving towards something, an orange in this case, uh, and keep moving uh, at it with all of the aggression and excitement that you had when it was an apple. So I hope we're not mixing up too many metaphors here. <laughs> <laughs> Keep our apples and oranges straight here. Apples and oranges, right. Okay, so this is really helpful to understand the, the tensions which do exist in leading operations too, but they're really heightened. They're, they're more focused Absolutely. in innovation. Those five right. tensions you went through of risk, ambiguity, visibility, that high bar for creativity. And we're, we're moving into uncharted territory because it's innovation. And then these three aspects of emotional support that leaders need to provide around trust and partnership and purpose-making, I can see two ways this information can get put into use. One is from the leader's perspective, which is, wow, this is great. I, I am tasked with leading an innovation group. 
I have some clear insights here, you know, best practices, so to speak, in terms of the research to help me be a better leader for this innovation group. On the other hand, so many product managers that are listening right now are thinking maybe, well, how does this help me? Because I'm the one that needs to be the recipient of a leader that embraces these things. Uh, I think this could be used as a tool to help with those discussions about, you know, if we really want to be innovative, we need to create, you know, back to culture, foster a culture that exhibits these kind of three key aspects of the emotional support that you shared. Thoughts on using it both ways there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I do have some thoughts on moving on using it both ways. One is I think if, if you're the innovator in the scenario we've been painting, right, you're mm-hmm. the person responsible for driving that is if you're aware of these three things. And if you're aware of that concept of emotional support, uh, number one, I would say you need to ask your boss for those things. Right. In other words, good leaders are also made by good followers mm-hmm. and a good follower talks openly and transparently with the boss about what do they need in order to do the best work. And any boss boss worth their pay will understand that what I have to do is I have to meet these people where they are. I have to give them what they need, right? I can't withhold from them something that they're asking for. So that's the first thing. I think the other thing, the way this could be used as a tool is that, you know, on those really bad days, when uh, you as the innovator, you know, have had a really rough day and the organization is just pounding your apple into just the smallest granular applesauce ever. And, you know, people feel like they're against you. No one wants to move this forward. Uh, you're getting roadblocks left and right. That at the end of those days, if you feel emotionally drained, that the reasons we've talked about are why, mm-hmm. right? Because you are dealing in this world where there is an acuity of those five tensions. Right. And therefore you are doing work that your counterpart over here in, a, in an ongoing operations doesn't quite have the emotional vulnerability uh, to what it is they're doing. So it's okay to feel at the end of some of those days or at the end of the month or at the end of some of those stage gate meetings um, drained, uh, discouraged mm-hmm. because that work it, the work you're doing requires such an emotional investment. You are creating and laying it up on the line day in, day out, and at the end of the day. Right. Uh, and that requires you to dig a little deeper into your emotional reservoir than perhaps your counterpart uh, does on an everyday, ongoing basis over in an ongoing operation. Good. And it's okay to feel that, right? And it's okay Absolutely. to express that to your boss. Yeah. And we get excited about developing new products because we're wired that way, right? To create something new and create value. Um, And it feeds our soul to create. Exactly. And it connects to our emotions. So this is all really helpful information. I I love the the research that you're bringing to light on what stands out as being significant for leaders of innovation compared to leaders of, of operations and ongoing business. And as listeners know, now that we've gotten through through that, I love a good innovation quote, too. I always love wrapping up this way. What is an a innovation quote? And tell us about that one. Okay. Well, so this is a, a quote of mine that I actually coined as a result of doing this research. In other mm-hmm. words, what, what's kind of the essence of it? And that quote goes like this. When we are creating, we are at our most human. When we are at our most human, we are at our most vulnerable. Hmm. 
And what that speaks to and how this research, you know, uh, gave birth to that as, as kind of an essence of a thought or this quote is that in innovation, day in, day out, you are creating. And until AI takes us over on that front, right. which probably, <laughs> hopefully will be the last front, um, we are doing something that is uniquely human. By coming up with ideas, by problem solving, by figuring out how to keep that apple an apple day in, day out, and then ultimately have a successful apple at the end of the day. We are doing something that is very, very human and taps into our humanity as an individual. When that's what we do for a living, when that's what we're doing at our work, at our work, eight, 10, 12, God forbid, 14, 16 hours a day, we are at our most human and therefore in the workplace, we're at our most vulnerable. And what do we need when we're at our most vulnerable? Support. Absolutely. So while it sounds very soft, and I do call this emotional, these, this trio of emotional support, I do call them the softest of the soft skills. Um, I think the world is opening up um, and listening for the fact that those soft skills are really hard. In other words, they're hard to do and to brush them off to the side and say, those are soft skills. I don't need to do that is I think what is feeding that gap. Absolutely. That's feeding that innovation, knowing and doing gap. I actually just wrote a little bit about that today for my, my Friday blog post that goes out, which is I would like to research. I I haven't before where this term soft skills comes from um, because they are indeed the things that usually predict success and they're the hardest things to learn, right? Absolutely. People come in a vast variety of differences and learning how to appreciate and interact and deal with those differences is what the soft skills are about. And that makes it a challenge. Where you're working in a matrix organization, a matrix world, things are changing so rapidly. What it really comes down to is what kind of relationships do I have mm-hmm. with people? Uh, and they can, I'm still talking a business relationship. It's not a personal relationship, but still the emphasis goes to relationship rather than task. Um, because I can't get things done by myself anymore. It's not, it doesn't right. really necessarily help me to be good at something. Uh, what really makes a difference in leadership and will, I think, for the foreseeable future is my ability to build the right kinds of relationships with the right people in order to get the work done because I can't do it by myself. It's too complex. The organization is matrix. The change around me is happening too fast. I can't possibly be the person making all this work. I have to build my network and work that network and build those relationships with people in the right way to make that network get the job done that I need to have done. And, you know, I just think the whole thing about soft skills, um, it, it actually kind of infuriates me that it ever got that title. So I'd be interested because I don't really know where that title came from. I have, have suspicions because that kind of stuff in a manufacturing oriented world, right? In a, in, you know, when, um, McGregor and those guys kind of ruled the waves of this is how, this is how you put people on assembly line most efficiently and mm-hmm. have them do the same thing over and over so that you can crank out a million automobiles at the end of the line, all of that kind of stuff that when you, when you think about the mechanization of humanization of humans, that has been the hallmark of the 20th century. Now, suddenly, or at that point in time, to, to think about having relationships with those people and being in relationship with that people, that, that just sounds soft, as in not going to make a difference, right? right. It's not going to really drive. 
and the world things have changed dramatically. And so I think I'd, I'd like to find a different term for soft skills because those are, are now the skills. Yeah. They're certainly the vital skills we need. Well, and they're the hardest and that's what you don't get trained to do. Well, I can't say as a panacea, right? I can't say as a sweeping generalization, but, and again, I'm part of the problem. I realize because I've been teaching MBAs for about 20 years now too, is that that part, they're not getting that in their education, right? Or, and certainly the people in senior leadership roles who got their MBAs in the eighties or whatever you want to say, or seventies or even early nineties, they were focused more on those, what are called hard skills, mm-hmm. financial analysis, risk abatement, all of those kinds of things. And there was probably little talk, or if there was, there was a, a uh, little bit of a smile or a grin, or maybe a little bit of a chuckle when anybody talked about building relationship uh, and emotionally supporting uh, your followers as a leader. You know, who needs that? We'll just fire them and get another one. And we know it's critical, and we know we need to provide emotional support if we're leading innovation. This has been a wonderful discussion. Appreciate the insights that you're bringing and sharing with us based on the research you've done. Tell us how people find out more just about CCL and the work you're doing there. You just go to ccl.org, CCL as in the Center for Creative Leadership, ccl.org. Um, you can search. You can search under innovation. You'll find uh, white papers, blogs on this research, as well as other research we're doing in the field of innovation and across all the different facets of leadership as well. Very good. Mike, I sure appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing your research insights with us. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Find the summary of the discussion with Mike at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 149. Also, don't forget to download the top 10 insights from the first 100 plus interviews. You'll find that at the home for this podcast, which is theeverydayinnovator.com. Thanks again. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.